0: Hello and welcome to Epicenter Bitcoin, episode 21. Today is May 25th, 2014. Uh, I am Sébastien Couture. And I'm uh, Brian Fabian Crane,
1: And we have... Um, I'm here s- sitting with uh, Asher. And he is joining us from Australia. Well, he's actually visiting Germany at the moment. But he's the CEO of CoinJar. So we're really excited to have him on today. Hi, guys. Happy to be here.
0: And we're also joined by... Levin Keller, who is also sitting in Berlin. Although not at the same occasion. So, Levin is uh, a
1: member of the German, of the board of the German Bitcoin Foundation. He's also started the Bitcoin meetup in Munich. And he's been running around scaring everyone with fears of VAT being charged on uh, Bitcoin transactions for a few months. And it seems like there was something, uh, some justification to his fear so we'll have some time today to talk about that
2: yeah hey guys pleasure to be here
0: Well, thanks for joining us, guys. And so we've got a lot to talk about today. Obviously, lots of topics to cover. Um, First, like CoinJar's uh, announcements. Also, we'll be talking about... uh, I'm sorry, not CoinJar's announcement. Circle's new product announcement. We'll also be talking about uh, the price increase and the German VAT decision. And we'll get to talk about CoinJar a little bit with Asher and see how things are moving along with that project.
1: Yeah, so maybe uh, let's get started with that, Asher. I mean, it's... uh... Coinjar, I think it's really impressive. You know, you you just told me before you guys started a year ago. And when one looks at uh, where you guys are now, I think that's that's really impressive. So maybe do you want to tell us a bit uh, how you got started uh, with Coinjar? Sure. Um, We started through
3: an incubator program about a year ago in Melbourne, Australia, Uh, Me and my friend Ryan, who started a few Bitcoin companies before, decided to make a consumer platform for for Bitcoin. So it was three months in the program. We spent some time in the States, uh, came back to Australia, and it was just the right time to do something and a service that consumers really needed uh, to get started in Bitcoin.
1: Uh, your um, reminds me a lot of Coinbase in terms of what you guys offer. Was that an inspiration, or I think we're both targeting consumer markets. So
3: a lot of the decision making, we've heard like how they uh, figured uh, came to the conclusions. I think it's a similar thought process. So I don't think so. We were so much inspired by them, but we were working on the same problem and we came to the similar solutions at the
1: same time. But maybe you can uh, talk a bit about what exactly CoinJure does and what you guys offer. Sure. So we've
3: got, um, at the base of it is a consumer wallet. So it's how do I store my Bitcoins? But we also found out that people needed to buy Bitcoins. So we added an exchange portion as well. So that's a market maker exchange or a fixed price exchange. Uh, and then we found out people wanted to spend your Bitcoin. So we also had to add some merchant services. So it sounds like we're doing a lot of things, but at the core of it, it's just to get people started with Bitcoin.
1: Cool. And uh, I think you guys are leading in, uh, is there any competition in Australia or are you guys kind of the, the ones? Yeah, definitely. There are some other smaller uh, Bitcoin exchanges
3: uh not everyone does the exact same thing we do i think we're the only one who offers wallets at this time but there are uh several smaller exchange platforms out there uh and there are a few point of sale merchant platforms as well
0: now could you maybe talk a bit about um the i mean we had the opportunity to talk about this with Max K but the kind of the scene in in australia and uh where uh, coinjar fits uh, in there
3: Sure. So, Australia's an interesting place. It's really far away. It's got a you know relatively small population compared to you know the United States. So, if you look at Europe as a whole, or even uh, like the UK as one, so uh, I don't think we're early adopters. But I think Bitcoin is something that appeals to Australians on a value basis. Uh, Australians always. Uh, they like independence as a value. Um, if you look at our national heroes, uh, Ned Kelly, that sort of thing. So I, I think Bitcoin makes a lot of sense in a bit of a libertarian independence uh, sort of way. So to get people started on Bitcoin, when we started, there were a few exchanges charging very high fees and it wasn't really intuitive. So me and my co founder thought, hey, let's go for a consumer approach. It's a lot harder compared to B2B,
1: but I think it's a market we really need to address. Now, would be interesting what you're saying about the kind of um, maybe cultural um, you know, tendencies towards Bitcoin or something like that. Um, I think it would be interesting to see how that plays out in different countries. Uh, I, I think in Germany, for example, you can definitely feel that people have uh, this almost hostility Against volatility which which really affects how people look at bitcoin, and then I guess you say in Australia there's a, this kind of libertarian or being controlled on money trade
3: yeah, if you look at some consumer surveys in the u k you can see something about seventy percent of the population of the people surveyed uh, were quite hostile toward Bitcoin. And I think it's all about, you know, image, education, and the brand name as well. So for us, we're trying to show what we've done in Australia and show that it's not all bad. There are a lot of positives and it's about telling the narrative that, hey, Bitcoin is really awesome and you can do what we do as well if you if you jump. So
1: yeah. I, I would like to, you know, ask another question about exactly how Coinjar works. If you guys offer an exchange service a bit like um, Coinbase... Uh, I use, I presume you're going to have to plug into some exchange for the liquidity. Uh, how do you guys do that? Do you use Bitstamp or? Yeah, um, we use Bitstamp.
3: There are quite a few other exchanges as well, which are on our radar and sort of fallbacks. Um, the our books actually balance most of the time, so we r- really don't go to the major exchanges too much. Oh.
1: Um, the buys and sells sort of equal each other. So, so you have a bunch of money in Bitstamp, and you just do like buy and sell bitcoins to hedge the currency risk. And only you're gonna have to do like I don't know one transfer a day or something over there, or um, not not that much actually. As, as I Even said, less. the, so the market
3: sort of evens itself out
1: in Australia. So that's interesting. So is is it because people trade a lot? You know, they buy and sell bitcoin, or is it because people buy and spend at merchants? Do you know? I think it's people trading,
3: so it does tend to even each uh, it out between us, the other exchanges, and you know um, the larger ones like Bitstam, ANX, or Bitbit
1: You also talked about uh, your new website. Do you want to? Or do you want to talk a bit in general? Maybe about the plans for CoinJar going forward. Sure. So.
3: As I said before, it's all about the brand. Um, as we are consumer focused, we want to build a strong brand and we want to tell a good narrative. There's a lot of focus on what Bitcoin as a technology can do. And I think it's amazing. But for most people, they want to hear stories about people. So that's where we've done um, CoinJar stories and try to tell some stories of how we've tried to shape the Bitcoin landscape in Australia uh, through stories of other people. So Uh, On the website, you'll find stories of uh, a young entrepreneur. And she uh, recently raised about 60,000 Australian, uh, quite a bit of it through Bitcoin to do some organic farming. Uh, And we had uh, donations from all around the world with Bitcoin. So stories like that, really positive. You probably don't hear it as much, but we wanted to show that, hey, it is possible the stories are more important than maybe the technology for most people.
0: Yeah, I really like how you're doing that. I mean, it, when you, when you visit the website and you read these stories, it really kind of brings a, a more, uh, human, uh, perspective to Bitcoin where, you know, for most of the time now we hear about the technology, we hear about, uh, <laughs> money laundering or Mt. Gox or kind of these stories. Um, this really brings it down to a human level and, you know, it really shows kind of like the, the power of the technology and what it can do for small business and entrepreneurs.
1: Yeah, I also uh, looked at that, you know, before uh, today, because I was checking out Coinjar website a bit. And uh, yeah, it's really nice. I think also graphically, I think you guys are doing a great job with that. And just to those who want to check that out, it's dot uh, coinjar.com uh, slash stories.
3: Yeah, so we put a lot of uh time and effort into researching design elements, how do we convey the story of Bitcoin better? And that's not just visual elements, that's language, words to use, I mean words like blockchain, wallet, address we sort of use that by default, but do we really have to use these words? I mean, what we're doing is building something entirely new, and I think it's wrong to assume that just because we've been saying wallet and blockchain all this time, uh, we prefer to use CoinJar, which is a bit more friendly, a bit more gender neutral.
1: Yeah, that is interesting. I mean, I think that's especially interesting uh Regarding a topic we're going to speak later, which is the Circle announcement, because they're doing a similar thing, right? They're kind of trying to change some of the language.
3: Yeah, so it's brand, um, and how do you convey your brand through language and visuals? Yeah. So a lot of the research we've done that you see in the current website, it's going to flow onto our uh, wallets. So the wallets are still sort of looks like our MVP, but we're um, trying to unify all the platforms, getting it, you know, on iPhone, Android, tablets.
0: Um, yeah. Now, did you have to ha- get a chicken handler to keep that chicken still on the table there? Or was that... <laughs> did, did the chicken... um Abide by the photographer's uh, request to stay there yeah, while you're really taking the picture. Amazing, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the farm is really that's beautiful, a great, I mean, the, that's just a great chicken, photo when you think about it. I mean, we thought it was going to
1: fly away. <laughs>
0: no, so, so, yeah,
1: you're talking about one of the stories uh, where yeah. you see a chicken standing on a table. So I think it's the first story if you go to the. the uh, yeah it does look pretty great
0: (laughs) yeah no really really great job on the website and uh also it looks great on mobile we uh so um and i met um at the conference we were sitting across from each other at dinner and we had the opportunity to talk about a whole bunch of stuff and he showed me this website on on my uh mobile and uh it's a you know great responsive website super uh, intuitive and easy to use with a great experience on on mobile and on on tablet and and desktop, so really, really great work. And um, so, do you have any plans to um, start doing business internationally, or are you going to stay in Australia?
3: Yeah. So the Bitcoin 2014 conference is a, the start of my sort of Euro Euro tour, and it's just about trying to learn about what everyone's doing, the community here. I'm trying to find cultural differences, regulatory differences. Business differences as well. So um, I was in Amsterdam for a week. I was in Munich a few days ago. In Berlin now, and headed to London tomorrow for another two weeks. So it's just about learning about regulation and what people want and people need in the Bitcoin space here.
1: Great. And uh, so, are you thinking of uh, starting to offer your service here as well? Maybe have uh, an office or banking relationship so people can do. Um, Purchase bitcoins. Yeah, I I mean, mean, there's actually an interesting opportunity here because if we think in US, we have a Coinbase that's been uh, kind of covering that that side of easy Bitcoin, easy like simple buying bitcoins. But in Europe, that's uh, there's an opportunity, and nobody's doing that.
3: Yeah. So for the last year in Australia, we've been quite fortunate because it's a, a smaller market to test a product. Um, refine it a bit, increase security, uh, research what users need. So on the technology side, we can scale a lot faster once we have those key banking relationships and, um, we're a bit more ready to be a bit more aggressive in this market.
1: Yeah, cool. I think it would be, uh, very interesting to see where this goes because there will be a lot of competition. Uh, maybe this is a good segue to kind of go into the, um, the Circle announcement, I would say. Because uh, I know Circle, you know, they've, they've been in stealth for a long time, even though they raised a ton of money. So it's quite unusual if you think of startups, usually, you know, you'll build some beta and then it works and then you raise money. Circle did it the other way around. They raised a ton of money. Of course, the CEO has a you know track record. So that made that possible. Um, and now at the Bitcoin 2014 conference, they have... Uh, announced their product, and I think some people have gotten invites. Uh, I'm still waiting for an invite. I think yeah, uh, I didn't get mine either. So yeah, sad. Yeah, so am I. Um, but there's a few features which we can talk about because I think they're really, really interesting. So number one is you know they're targeting something really similar to Coinbase. It's essentially a wallet, uh, and it's a wallet and it's like CoinJar too, right? It's a wallet, and you can buy bitcoins. In, in a simple way, it's not to make you like high-frequency trading or something like that. But, you know, if it's a consumer you want to buy. And what they offer is they offer instant Bitcoin purchases. And you can use your credit card even. And they don't charge any fees. So, you know, Coinbase, we had 1%. I think you guys are also 1% and 2% right. there. And uh, they're doing it for free. Of course, that you know, we also know w- why they raise so much money to <laughs> afford not uh, not um, targeting revenues right now, they're also going to offer you $10 free worth of Bitcoin when you create a new account. Which of course is going to make it very attractive for people to sign up. And I think the, the last one, which is uh, interesting and important, is that they have free insurance. You know, we ha- We've started seeing some insured uh, services. There's the Elliptic guys in London, but they're charging 2% a year. And the examples guy claimed to charge 0.12% and, you know, circles giving it to you for free. So it's, I think a really, really competitive product. And if you compare that to Coinbase, uh, you know, the they do all the same things and it seems like they're doing it for free and with more features. So uh, it will be very interesting to see how this space develops.
0: Yeah. I mean, it strikes me as a, a very interesting development. Um, so obviously we haven't seen this we haven't been able to use it. So, so as, uh, as of yet, since it's, uh, we're still waiting for invites, but um, they, they did publish a, a video, which is circulating. It's like eight minutes long. And, and Jeremy Allaire uh, talks about uh, where they're going um, and shows off the website. And for me, I think, What's what's really interesting about this, and what struck me as, as a, a very um, interesting point, is that they're really focusing on the user experience. Like the sign up is super easy; you can add your credit card in a snap. Like they're doing all the uh, all the verification in the background. Um, uh, I, you know, you, you you sign up, you get your ten your ten dollars uh, uh, immediately. So that really entices you to start using Bitcoin. Um, and you know, not to mention all this is free, right? So, uh, I guess we'll see how they're going to make money later, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think it really pushes, uh, it pushes the envelope and raises the bar in terms of what exchanges are going to have to now start offering in terms of services. So, uh, free transactions, free insurance, um, really high quality, secure storage, like they said that this is you know, secure, multi-sig, cold storage wallets with armed guards. <laughs> so, um,
1: absolutely, I think it is. So, yeah. um, it is you know it's, it is extremely compelling, and if you talk about taking Bitcoin mainstream, which I think is kind of their motto, then I think this can be a, a big step towards that. A big step towards making it uh, you know a lot easier, because we really have to realize that when it takes you a month or two weeks to get your account authorized, et cetera. I, maybe, Asher, you guys have data on that, but I would imagine you probably lose 50% of people or something or more who just abandon the process because it's too annoying.
3: Yeah, I, I think it's a really good thing they're doing as well. Um, they have the benefit of operating in the States where funding's a lot stronger and you can have really... A, people with good backgrounds, um, who are very accomplished working on projects like this. So I think it's great for everyone that, you know, they help grow the pie of Bitcoin users. So, um, I I think we need all kinds of services and for them to be so aggressive in this space, I think everyone will benefit. Um, but again, we, uh, haven't seen the product myself, so I'm sort of wait and see. I'm sure it's going to be great. So Jeremy, if you're listening to this, I would love an invite. (laughs)
1: um what's also interesting is how aggressive they seem to be about international expansion you know they've already opened uh, an office in dublin like before you know they did that before even releasing their first uh, product and you know if you compare that to uh, for example coinbase then they still don't have an international office you know their merchant solution doesn't work in Europe. Um, or it doesn't work for the euro payouts at least and so i think you know they will, they'll have to do some things to you know not to you know not to lose their competitive advantage
3: well i, I think the pie is
1: can be significantly
3: larger if you look at the number of bitcoin users uh, it, it's still relatively small there is True. is for different True. services and even if Coinbase were to stay in one market, I think it still can be a very successful company. Um, we've seen companies try to, you know, look at the international market like Buttercoin, but again, still looking for the first product to come out. So it is r- quite difficult if you want to expand fast. But again, Circle is fund it. They probably can pull it off if anyone can.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think that's the first thing you need is a lot of money um and they do have that so uh levin what's your view of um uh... of circle as a whole what you say or yeah circle and this kind of uh you know development where we're going with this
2: so at the moment they're offering this uh free of charge insurance um stuff and i have to see how actually it actually works out in the end so there was this insurance in i think the uk <laughs> were actually a bit insured as bitcoins but the value of the bitcoins when you uh deposited them at the insurance company then were were insured for the value that they had at this at that moment and not anymore so when they rise in value they're not insured as a whole anymore i will see
1: Well, you kind of have to up your insurance then. But yeah, you're right. The insurance is, is denominated in pound terms or,
2: or dollar terms. So, yeah. All I'm saying is that actually we have to see how Circle really implements this kind of insurance on, on the one hand. And then the, t- the second thing is there's not such thing as a free insurance. So, in the end, they'll have to make money somehow for this kind of service. And we'll see how they actually get the money from their customers. Um, there might be a phase where actually they try to just, I don't know, bomb the market and be the player. But in the end, they got to make money somehow. And um, I'm not really sure how they'll do it in the end. But I think they'll charge the customers maybe uh, through a bad exchange rate or something.
1: No, I don't think they do that. I think I said they're not. I mean, if you compare this to other areas, you no, know, if you you look at a company like Twitter, how long did it take for them to start even trying to make money? So I think... Are they making money? Uh, no, they do now. I mean, I don't know if they're profitable, oh. but they do have uh, advertising revenues, et cetera. But, you know, I mean, I think they've, they think the same way. You know, it's it's about like uh, have a, building a big user base, having an advantage. I think that's why they're undercutting Coinbase and costs, et cetera. And then they said they would build services on top of that, which would, you know, and I, d- I don't know if they even know what those services are going to be, but I think right now it's about... Uh, just growing fast.
2: Yeah, that's, that's true for sure, but still they, they have a, a zero risk business model more or less. Twitter. What, the worst thing that could happen is that their servers are going down or that any user account is hacked. But uh, when you're handling Bitcoin, you have a much higher risk when, when you lose the customer's money. So I think that they will have to, to someone get money quicker at least than, than Twitter or somebody else um, or they just will collapse whenever there's an issue with their security policy or their security implementation.
1: Uh, Asher, what are your thoughts uh, on, on their monetization? Or by them. Yeah, what do, you, what do you think? How how do you think they might monetize in the future?
3: Um, one of those wait and see, let's see when they release the product and it comes out. But again, if you're a US-based company with access to some of the best VCs, it's a whole different game where, I mean, we've raised a small round, but at the end of the day, if we're not earning money, we're not going to grow So different places, different stories. Um, I just, you know, time will tell how it plays out.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think for them, the pressure to make money is not going to be so high. You know, it's not going to be so high in the near term. And if they can show good traction, you know, if they grow users in the kind of rates that they promised their VCs to do, I'm sure they'll be able to raise another 40 million or something a year from now or or two years from now. So... But yeah, it will be interesting to see. And I think, sort of, in, in summary, we can say it's it's a very positive thing. It's a positive thing in bringing new users into Bitcoin. And I just hope we're going to see similar um, similar offerings and similar services in Europe.
0: Yeah, I think that this is a, again. We don't have a timeline yet, but I, I, I don't think we know when this is coming out. Like when they're coming out of beta.
1: You mean Circle? Yeah, It is out.
0: Yeah, but I mean, uh, when it will be launched to the general public. I mean, I think the way it worked, right? So they
1: uh, allowed invites or you could request an invite and then, I don't know, maybe they had like a million people request an invite or something. And now they're slowly, uh, I think they just want to scale their user base like slowly because, you know, they want to, but I think like, you know, maybe every day they invite a few thousand people or something like that. I don't know.
0: Right. No, but what I was gonna, what I was going to say is that I think that um, what's re- what I, I said this a while ago. But I think what's really interesting about this mm-hmm. is uh, is that the level of of service and quality that it'll kind of push the market towards. So other Bitcoin exchanges are going to have to step up to the plate and start offering the same type of um, level of service and quality and mm-hmm. and um, um incentives that circle is uh, is offering if they want to stay in the game and and remain relevant let's let's briefly come back to what asher mentioned before
1: which was the the kind of language and branding thing because that's one thing that they really i think emphasized in a few places is that they want to change that so you know whereas in coinbase you exchange bitcoin so you buy sell Bitcoins. And they call it, you know, you de- deposit funds there and then you withdraw. So, I mean, essentially on the back end, of course, you are buying Bitcoins because, you know, you deposit, let's say a thousand dollars on there. And then they give you a thousand dollars equivalent, uh, worth of Bitcoin. Uh, but they don't call this, you know, buying a thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin, but you know, you're depositing, uh, money in your, you know, uh, wallet, and then you can withdraw, which essentially is selling in the same way. Is uh, it interesting? I, I don't know if it really makes a difference, but uh, they they definitely f- thought about that. I guess similar to you guys, and and think that this is a more consumer friendly language. Yeah, I'm sure they have focus groups um, and things like that, but.
3: You can only tell if it works if you look at a data driven approach, you know, six months, one month, one year later, um, yeah. how it really works. And then again, not all places might share the same language or nuances of, you know, does this really work for me? So um, CoinJar's approach is, you know, we'll just have to move a lot faster than everyone else. And, you know, if they have bigger research teams and, you know, it, it's a different thing. But I guess all of us have a Pretty start starting from the same point, you know. everyone's sort of guessing what will work, what won't. So, I think we just got to see, you know, twelve months from now, uh, what people are, what words people are using to describe Bitcoin.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I agree, right? I'm sure they did some research and focus groups, etc. And and they probably have some data, but you know, they also probably don't have you know, really the solid the kind of solid data that's like, okay, this is really better. And yeah, right. we will see.
3: Yeah, so our creative director, Cade, he worked on Bitcoins.com for Mt. So he's had a bit of experience in the space, you know, trying to convey uh the Bitcoin message. So like for us, this is maybe round two or round three of trying to refine our message.
0: Okay, cool. That's interesting.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean in terms of uh mainstream adoption, I think that um there is an important user experience component, which companies like circle and also CoinJar to, uh, also are, are trying to, uh, to embrace, right. So the consumer side, like taking the tech out of it and just bringing a service. So I guess you could call it like the Gmailification of, uh, of Bitcoin services where we're now entering, uh, an era where, um, in, if we want to get mainstream adoption, we're going to have to start really talking to regular consumers and detaching ourselves from like the technical side of Bitcoin, where even, you know, you talked about bitcoins.com, Asher, Uh, although it is very nice and it it, it is kind of very uh, user friendly in terms of the language and in terms of like the visuals and how they try to explain it, it remains very technical, right? Um, Whereas, uh, CoinJars approach and Circle's approach and perhaps some other Bitcoin companies are kind of starting to get this. Uh, the approach is completely different. We're, we're very much at a consumer level trying to talk to people and you know, um, it, it, getting them to understand really what, what, what can be done with Bitcoin and how, how can you embrace it as a technology but not really having
2: to touch the technology but just really having it as a service. But um, if I might object something, I think that we forget about the actual centralization we're adding to such services, and um, which will maybe lead to a problem. So, I actually are against the idea of Bitcoin. So, um, I hope that there will be, um, I don't know, multiple players uh, in every jurisdiction. But if there's at the end some kind of, I don't know, PayPal for Bitcoin and we are using that, we're back to the centralization that we have and people are kind of abusing this power already so if you follow the news i think on bitstamp if you're selling bitcoin in bulk and want to get your money out you have to verify where you got the bitcoin from that's a new uh, uh, policy that they have so it will be more against the uh, anarchist uh, point of view of bitcoin um if you get these uh, convenience services out there all the time
1: wait can you say that again if you need, if you want to sell bitcoins on bitstamp you need to verify where they're from
2: yeah, I, I kind of followed some discussion on Reddit, so I didn't have the experience myself. But that's what I what I read about that when you are selling a large amount of bitcoins on Bitstamp, you want to get the money out. That they will ask you uh, where actually the bitcoins came from, so that you somehow I don't know prove that you bought them beforehand or something.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's really good you bringing that up. I mean, because that is certainly something uh, important and something that people think about when you talk about services like Circle or Coinbase, etc., which are, of course, centralized. And of course, as a user, you don't control your private keys. So, I, I mean, I can tell you my view of this is I'm not so scared about this centralization risk because it seems to me that Bitcoin will always be this open system where you can easily switch. Like, because, you know, they if you have PayPal... Right, you're going to have to have something on, on both sides. Right, You can't just go from PayPal and pay some merchant that doesn't have PayPal. Um, but with Bitcoin, you can just send it to any address. And does that belong to a merchant? Does it belong to you and some may, uh, wallet that you control? Uh, they won't know that. And so I think uh, you will have that option of moving from a centralized system to a decentralized uh, wallet that you control easily. Yeah, and there are um,
3: services already dedicated to people who worry about those things you mentioned. I mean, blockchain.info is, uh, you know, Roger has said, you know, he's very strongly against the centralization aspect. So, you know, if that really concerns you, I think, you know, download the official client for yourself or use blockchain.info. But you know that's still not for everyone.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree, right? And I think it's very important that we have something like blockchain info and offerings like that. And I also wouldn't want to keep, like, you know, if I had substantial amounts of Bitcoin, you know, I would keep those uh, controlled by yourself, offline, etc. That's
2: not so much about the about the technical part. I'd say it's more about the fungibility. You know, so that there may be, so that there are gray bitcoins and white bitcoins. And, uh, I, I do need a receipt that I bought some bitcoins actually attached to my bitcoins so that I can sell them or use them in a proper business. So they, maybe I'll, I'll have bitcoins that I, uh, use on my own with my friends and these are these great bitcoins where nobody cares about where they come from but as soon as I want to go into this I don't know circle and professional level I have to somehow prove that I actually bought these bitcoins for this amount of money this will uh, we really separate the, the, the bitcoins and, and the good and the bad bitcoins maybe and get so so um, I don't know pre- prevent this kind of fungibility that we all hope for that's what I fear not the technical part so I understand these arguments very well
1: yeah, no, Levin, I think that's, uh, you know, we we talked about this at length. You know, there was this coin validation idea, which exactly speaks to that. And I totally agree this is something to worry about. And that would be really, really bad for Bitcoins in many ways. I, I personally have quite some hopes in uh, dark wallet project and technologies like that, that hopefully they will just make it impossible to do something like that. But of course, you're right that this is a danger. And if things like that will be tried, they will try that using, you know, they, they will force services like Coinbase and Circle to cooperate and, and to basically enforce that kind of a separation and whitelisting and follow the trail thing. So I, I agree, it's it's an important topic.
0: Uh, perhaps we should... Uh... Kind of use this as a segue into uh, the recent price increase, like not to talk about price too much, but I mean, the the price has went up um, significantly over the past couple of days uh, or past week or so crossing the $500 mark and the 400 euro mark uh, as of this morning, I think. So um, I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on this. I mean, I think that actually almost almost six hundred
1: dollars, five hundred seventy. Is it
0: 570 five seventy now? Uh, yeah, uh, on Bitcoin average. Yeah. So, I mean, just just since this morning, since the show started, I checked it this morning. It was at four hundred fifteen euros, and now it's four hundred twenty two. <laughs> so uh, the, the 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 price seems to be going up. Uh, well, I mean, it is going up. Some. I mean, I think we can point to some. Factors that are contributing to this uh, for one, I mean, the Bitcoin 2014 conference was a very successful conference kind of renewed optimization uh, op- optimism uh, around Bitcoin. Uh, you know, these high profile startups are becoming increasingly uh, active and attractive. So circle a uh, bit raising $30 million in funding, for instance, there's also, we're, we're kind of at the tail end of all this negative media buzz surrounding Mt. Gox and like, the Charlie Shrem arrests and all this other kind of stuff—it's kind of falling to the background. Um, so yeah, I mean, is this a, is this a bubble, or are we really moving towards kind of a, a stabilized price? Or it's definitely, it's, not, let's not
1: start screaming
0: <laughs> of a
3: bubble. I think mean, that's like <laughs> personally, I've got too many things to worry about to worry about the price. Yeah,
1: no, I. I agree, right? In the end, the price is going to follow adoption, usage, utility, how strong the infrastructure is, etc. cetera. But it is interesting how those things uh, kind of go in waves. In, in a sense, I, I do expect that the price will increase uh, dramatically this year. I think if we do see uh, financial institutions enter the space and, you know, there's, there's lots of signs of that happening, uh, you know, the price just has to go up dramatically uh I, I don't know if this is anything to do with it or if this is starting now because i guess we won't know when it's starting because nobody will tell us um until after it's happened at least uh but yeah i don't know it's i definitely wouldn't call this a bubble
0: no but i, I mean some people might uh fear a bubble um if uh, if things move very very fast, if people start buying Bitcoin frantically, and then only to find out that um, well, it was overhyped, I, I don't pr- really think that's the thing. I mean, I think people are maybe uh, some people are probably thinking about that. I think that there's in an, an, uh, a growth in infrastructure, uh, a stable infrastructure, and you know, we're we're seeing these you know these services uh, um, appear and, and start offering their services. So. I think that will cause some sort of a stabilization. I'm also kind of, um, so like recently we've heard news out of China where, uh, uh, well, it's, Bitcoin has not been banned but is uh, not doing very well in China. Uh, have we kind of like psychologically blocked out China and anything that's happening there? Because, you know, things are not going very well there and the price is still going up. Uh, whereas over the last few months, it has been the cause of the price going down. So,
1: I, I mean, in my view, I really never understood why the China thing had such an effect on the price. I mean, I guess a lot of people are speculating there, but uh, it, it really made no sense in the last um, few months when the, the trading volume had already gone down dramatically in China. And, you know, it was only maybe 15, 20% of the total uh, trading volume anymore, and yet some Rumors that nobody know where they came from or if there was anything to it seem to have the power to like get the Bitcoin price down by ten percent in a day uh, I thought that was bizarre um, so if I mean if that's not happening anymore then that seems uh, that seems logical to me and does not surprise me in a sense oh, what are your thoughts Steven?
2: No, I think that, that actually after all this bad news from China. There wasn't any bad news more to come, so so they in the end they just yeah they just prevented Bitcoin from being used, from being bought, from being sold, and um, this is over now. And I think the rest of the market will will still uh, grow, and that's what we are seeing right now with the price rise. And um, I think everybody was kind of in a in a freeze mode and waiting for what happens now. And once it broke out of these. You know, I'm not a fan of technical analysis, but I think that we broke a lot of these long-term, short-term channels and uh, important cross marks and stuff like that. And that's what also triggered the bots and the, uh, the, the kind of, I don't know, amateur high-frequency traders that are out there. And um, yeah, they, they just um, eat the bite to some degree. And that's what caused the price rise, which is, I think, just as coming back to normal somewhat because it's worth more than that what we're paying right now
0: yeah I, th- I think you're right when you say you know, things are coming back to normal after uh, quite a bit of turmoil over the last few months
2: and also i that th- maybe I don't know it is maybe a coincidence, but you know that the price rise actually uh, is at the same time as Ripple's being dumped uh, on huge scale because of the uh, one of the co-founders actually selling his stash of a, of a billion Ripples uh, or announcing that he will sell it. So um,
1: I think I know th- it's nine. It's nine billion. I think he owns nine percent of all the. Ripples.
2: Or, or also, so so yeah. So but bless all Ripples that are out there will be dumped on the market. And um, the thing is, so the volume, volume, volume sided or from the volume point of view, it's not important for coin, but Whatever flows out of Ripple back in Bitcoin. But maybe it adds, uh, it adds to people this kind of sense of trust in the in the gold standard of Bitcoin and not so much as in the, in the other cryptocurrencies. So maybe that's what people are also seeing that they were uh, thinking of where I'm going to invest maybe in Bitcoin or Ripple or whatever coin there is out there. And now they see that actually Ripple is kind of yeah, being being attacked very easily by, by one of the founders. And um, yeah, they, they think maybe that Bitcoin is, is the, the thing to go and they decide that their investment will go into Bitcoin. Maybe that's an idea. I don't know. But, um, but
1: I, I think for Ripple, this is less of an issue than for other things. I mean, it can be a bit of an issue for Ripple, the company, because, of course, their whole business model essentially is... That they own uh, most of the ripples, and then they kind of continually sell it to finance or to make profit. Uh, so for that, it can be a problem, of course. When now this guy dumps all the ripples, but in this, in the end, you know, it, it, Ripple is primarily a network, and the currency is to pay transaction fees. So it, it's not as I think it's not as if you saw some other currency, Litecoin, losing 90% of its value in a day, then you would you know, probably worry more than with Ripple.
2: But still, people were investing in it. The, the value of Ripple was rising rather sharply in the beginning. And um, some people think that actually Ripples are worth something. I think that are, they, they should be used and treated as protection as they were invented by, by the Ripple founders. But still people, I think they they're all looking for the for the next big thing in Bitcoin. Um, so also this might have an impact on Ethereum and other projects where actually you depend a little bit on the uh, on the, the people that are behind the project uh, on actually delivering something. And maybe people will get more cautious after that uh, in investing in new um, new Bitcoin derivatives.
1: Well, let's uh, let's move on to the the VAT topic because I think that's super important. And we have, you know, I think, maybe you've spent more than most people in Germany. I mean, there's probably a few others who really looked into this topic, but you you really have. So, do you want to give us a brief uh, kind
2: of summary of what happened? Yeah, well, sure. I'd like to do that. So, first of all, I'd like to um, maybe not talk so much about VAT, but about sales tax, which is, for me, an easier uh, concept to grasp. So, whatever you make as a merchant, the revenue in Germany, you pay pay these 19% uh, sales tax. So, um, this is just going to the Ministry of Finance and... um, yeah so that's um about the rule and the question was now whether or not bitcoin actually is exempt from sales tax so let's say that you sell a beer or something for uh, for bitcoin but you price it in euros you you sell the you sell the beer and you deduct the the, the sales tax uh, from the price that of the beer that you actually uh declare in euros and um, so then you get the bitcoins, maybe uh, I don't know one one euro and twenty cents worth, and you you have about twenty cents of, of sales tax that you actually give away. But the, the question is now: these bitcoins are these handled as money? So when I sell them, change them again for euros as a merchant, am I just exchanging money, and then I will be exempt from sales tax, or is it kind of an uh, of? Uh, uh, kind of a commodity that I'm actually uh, selling again against euros. And the, the German Ministry of Finance and their news response, they took the point of view that this is actually selling a commodity against euros that you have to have a, uh, a lead. um Factor for that so that you pay VAT on that transaction. Again, this would essentially, this whole, this would kill Bitcoin in Germany as a payment system in the easiest way to use it, to just take Bitcoin and sell them again as a as a merchant, also maybe use them to buy new goods like Jörg Platzer is doing in his uh, pub. He's actually buying his beer for Bitcoin. So he has some kind of circulation of Bitcoin in there. All this would be prevented by this kind of ruling if it holds uh, to be true basis for that is actually the uh, guideline from the EU. So it's the same same rules should apply in the UK, for example, where they actually, they think that it's exempt from VAT. So we'll see in the end uh, who wins this argument and whether or not in Europe VAT will apply or not. But this is not something that the, the, the actual countries decide, but we decide as a whole union.
1: So what's the legal status of this thing? Is this binding in Germany does that mean now everyone filing a tax declaration businesses, you know, they'll have to redo that? What does that mean?
2: It is not uh, a final decision and not also legally speaking, not actually uh, a r- real ruling. So it was a response or uh, to a um, uh, request from a member of the men in Germany. Uh, he asked uh, formally at the, for the Ministry of Finance, how they would see this uh, Bitcoin transactions, and whether or not they think that it is exempt from VAT, and they just responded to it. So it's not a final ruling. They, they also give out these kind of um, letters to the local uh, to the local um, bureaus of their of the ministry, uh, which are binding in that way. That actually, so the IRS uh, offices so the local, so what what we would call the IRS in Germany, uh, they they actually are bound to to proceed in this way that they are doing it, and, and we are waiting for the next letter to come out, and uh, we try to actually avoid a letter coming out that um, thinks that Bitcoin uh, that uh, sales tax applies. And that's also why we're actually uh, promoting this uh, this new uh, answer, just to make people sens- uh, sensitive about the fact that they actually are trading something that could be uh, crucial for, for a new branch of, uh, of economy to grow. Yeah, and um, this will be the next step. And after that, then whenever you're actually doing your own tax reports as a merchant, you should somewhat, to some degree, declare how you're actually thinking that that these uh, transactions are treated and you, you would say maybe they're, I think they're uh, VAT exempt and then you'll, you'll have the, the IRS office that thinks the opposite and then you have to meet in court in the end. Um, that's, that's the way way to go and it's very um, inconvenient for somebody who's actually just accepting Bitcoin I don't know, for 100 euros worth a month uh, just because you think it's fun and after that he has a, a lawsuit ahead, that's also where we need to help uh, the small merchants that actually accepted Bitcoin in the past. And Problem is, if it were like that, then it would apply to transactions that happened in the past. So if you had a revenue of, let's say, 20,000 euros last year, then you would be forced to pay 4,000 euros of sales tax now. And and that's that's really a bad thing.
3: Yeah. This sounds very similar to what's going on in Australia. Um, I can't say too much because the tax office has made me sign a whole bunch of NDAs. But there is, you know, this uncertainty and, you know, there have been things said, but nothing set in stone yet. And I guess as Bitcoin users, Bitcoin entrepreneurs, you know, we've just got to um, make ourselves heard, show the flaws in um, that sort of thinking and, you know, educate the other side as much as possible because, you know, what else can we do?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um- Levin, I'm I'm curious. So, what would this mean for, for example, room seventy-seven?
2: Uh, so, if it applied, I'd say. So, I just checked, and I uh, they have one uh, one address that they're using all the time. So, I just checked how much revenue they had, and. With the current uh, value of Bitcoin, they have around 20,000 euros of revenue in the, uh, I think, last six months. And um, so you would have to deduct, actually, uh, how much they were worth whenever they they, they they bought them. But as I understand it, Jörg Platzer usually he sells the Bitcoin to himself. So whenever I'm uh, paying with Bitcoin at the room 77, in this moment there's a transaction made virtually in the the bookkeeping that actually the the shop owner bought the bitcoins from the shop and put back the money into the the cashier. And uh, so that's uh, that's about the, the, what what Jörg is doing there, and um, yeah. So what I see is that these actually, if it applies, he's due four thousand euros of uh, VAT. Um, I'm sorry, Jörg, if he's listening to, to to spill out the beans here, but this public knowledge, it's on the blockchain, and uh, yeah. So so this will be be uh, some. Sometime- but wouldn't
1: wouldn't this mean also going back to 2011 when he started?
2: Yeah, that should apply. That's true. The um, question is whether or not um, the, the authorities are following up on this with this uh, kind of um, uh, fraud. Um, so, so, yeah, that's, that would apply until 2011 when he started first. He can avoid this by using BitPay. That's, some, that's That's a loophole. It depends a little bit on how actually BitPay is treating uh, the contracts that they're making with the merchants. So at the moment, I think that BitPay uh, just sells the Bitcoin uh, for the merchant. So the merchant actually is owner of the Bitcoin. They need to change that to say that uh, they, they are uh, actually just selling the Bitcoins themselves and wiring money to the merchant. And then the merchant can accept Bitcoin payments, which are or convert to euros without paying VAT. So that would be maybe a way to go for York as well.
1: But then that might have new regulatory implications for a company like BitPay, no? You
2: know. Well, it will happen. There, this will, will, there will be a lot of interesting uh, decisions and discussions. And also something that I'd like to say also to what um, Ashur said. So we can, we can educate, um, I don't know, people and the ministry and, and so on. But on the other hand, we shouldn't forget what actually so the, the, VAT or sales tax is actually a very neat way to prevent alternative currencies from existing. So if you are applying sales tax to any alternative currency, you you always so it's always possible to use it like a small scale with your friends and stuff like that. But as soon as you want to be professional, you have this sales tax issue, which actually kills this kind of alternative currency and. Silver as well, for example, included in in sales tax. So we cannot use silver as a means of payment. And maybe somebody thought about that and actually likes the idea that we are forced to use the euro or the US dollar and they just don't want to exempt Bitcoin from VAT.
3: What's your strategy of of going around this? Or, you know, if you think that, you know, education and, you know, GST is prohibitive. Uh, of VAT is prohibitive to the adoption of bitcoin and you don't think that education uh, will do the trick what's your overall strategy to combat this
2: no i think that education will might do the trick but it's not as easy to just educate the uh, government but we need to educate actually people and tell them that it's about freedom of speech and not so much about money so they that's what i would say so it's more it's bigger than bitcoin is actually we should Get involved with um, with uh, civil rights movement and people like that to make them understand how important this is.
0: How likely do you think uh, th- this will be overturned or, or scrapped? Like we saw in the UK, for instance, uh, the UK coming back on their on their decision to charge v- VAT on Bitcoin trading.
2: Problem is in Germany, the lobbyism for Bitcoin is not as professional as it might be in the UK. So I think that the leverage that we are having here is much smaller. Um, That might be a problem Um, as soon as this uh, general ruling comes out to all the local offices, um, this this Rundschreiben, which is kind of, I don't know, a newsletter or something. um, We would like to to prevent them from from actually um, doing this uh, quickly, but I think it will come out soon and we don't have the people that actually talk to these kind of uh, ministry um, workers and um, that's a problem that actually is not comparable to the UK where there are large scale startups already talking to, to the policymakers there. and um, yeah, maybe we we're, we're too, too slow in Germany to, to. Really go on about that?
0: No, it's just, I think it's just a question of culture of lobbying in the UK and us and at the European union that we don't have at all at, 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 national level, like for instance, in France, also the lobby lobbying is not as developed as, uh, as across the, the channel. So um,
1: let me uh, jump in here again. And uh, so, Levin, uh, what's your view of since I asked about Room Seventy Seven? What's your view of Bitcoin DE? What they So, Bitcoin DE is um, you know an exchange, but it's kind of a peer-to-peer exchange. So it works a bit like local bitcoins uh, when you use their online trading function. So you know you can you buy directly from a person, send the money over. Uh, do you think there's going to be consequences for that?
2: So. Talking about is either um, so there are two parts to that. There's the, the, the guy who's actually running Bitcoin DE, uh, Oliver Flaskamper, um with his company, and whether or not they pay VAT or not or sales tax. But this only applies to their um, to their margin that they are actually charging on all the trades. The the other question is whether or not um, I when I buy and sell Bitcoin, whether maybe VAT or sales tax apply applies, and that could very well happen on uh, local Bitcoins. It depends always how much money actually you're turning around and how professionally you're working there. So I don't know if you're advertising your stuff and so on, then you might be considered a professional trader. and This could also maybe happen on Bitcoin DE, which is not a usual usual marketplace, but you're actually wiring the money uh, directly from one person to another. So that's something that will be interesting to see whether or not there will be uh, traders on Bitcoin DE or local Bitcoins that are actually uh seen as professional traders and as applied to their business and this is really something this, this this will be the worst case scenario because uh you know if if you're just exchanging bitcoin all the time and maybe I don't know making $1,000 or $2,000 profit over a year you still because of the revenue you could be charged I don't know half a million in, in sales tax. This this, this could be possible. I hope it doesn't apply at all but, but people should be very aware of that. On the other hand whoever trades professionally with Bitcoin in Germany needs a license from the uh, Bafin which is kind of FinCEN in, in Germany so uh, they are already kind of out of the law already so I think they may be also, try to evade the taxation there. So, these people, they usually, I think they know what they're doing, but they're doing something which is very uh, kind of, of dangerous to, to trade large scale in Germany, um, not on exchanges like Bitstamp, but using something like local Bitcoins or Bitcoin DE. Yeah.
1: So, I take it what we need is that somebody is going to challenge that. I mean, if it really comes through. So, we would need have maybe someone like Jörg Plotz of Room 77 uh, taking them to court, is that correct?
2: That would be a way to go um, in the end, but, but we could try to avoid that to um, actually, um, yeah, prevent from, to, from us from going to court with that. And I think problem is that even if we go into court, it could turn out that we need to pay sales tax and what is to be gained from that, so maybe it would be easier to convince policy makers away from actually um, insisting on this sales taxation and to try to work out a, another way.
3: Does Germany have an association body similar to the Bitcoin Foundation?
2: Yeah, of course, with the Bundesverband Bitcoin, which is uh, the, the German Bitcoin Association, I'd say we're also an affiliate uh, captain of the Bitcoin Foundation uh, from the US and I'm a board member there. So um, we're working on that stuff and we're working with, with a huge effort on it. Um, but uh, as I said, so we're a little limited from the uh, industrial side. So there are not as many huge Bitcoin startups that actually are also, I don't know, channeling money into this kind of lobbyism. Um, but we're trying our best. Sounds good.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this is um, yes, it's such an important area, and it's it's very dangerous what could happen here. I there's a a few ways of thinking about that, but I guess one one way to approach it too is just to hope that Bitcoin scales so fast that uh, by the time uh, it comes to actually making uh, regulations and taking some official stance on that, that by that time we will have uh, momentum and a user base and the support by uh, companies, etc and uh, that it will be favorable and hopefully this will be overturned but
3: yeah i've recently seen a document made by the reserve bank of australia and it was done in may 2013 and it's just been released through a freedom of information request and it said uh, bitcoin can be a threat to australian monetary policy but It's not adopted in a big way yet in Australia. There are no Australian exchanges. There are not many merchants or users in Australia who use Bitcoin. And this was 12 months ago. And right now, we've probably about four or five exchanges in Australia. And, you know, we've got a few industry bodies and, you know, hundreds of merchants who accept Bitcoin. So even in that space of 12 months where it wasn't on their radar and they thought no one used it, you know, a lot can happen in 12 months.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then if you talk about, you know, in U.S., we have now companies like Overstock or Tiger Direct or uh, those companies. And when we start having things like that enter Bitcoin or you start having uh, Wall Street hedge funds, etc., putting money in Bitcoin, you know, those people have a lot more power and are a lot more connected already with the whole lobbying, senators, etc., so uh, when you have that, then you have a much, uh, very different leverage on on a question like this. Unfortunately, I think in Germany that hasn't happened at all so far. Well, I guess, uh, is there something else uh, you want to add to that uh, topic, Levin,
2: or maybe someone else? So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to add the following, and um, also Sebastian is um, based in France, and um, I, I talked when I was in Amsterdam, I talked to some Bitcoiners from, from Spain, from, uh, from France as well, and they said that these VAT decisions are coming out there as well, so more or less from the local uh, offices, so some are saying, okay, this, uh VAT taxable or sales taxable, others say it isn't. Um, I think that there needs to be um, a broader view in Europe and, and more organization between the, the Bitcoin associations and foundations of the local, of the, of the individual countries. That's also something that I'd like to, to work on. So, um, if anybody's listening to this podcast as well, please uh, try to contact me or the Bundesverband, uh, to get things running there policy wise. And I think that, um, Germany and France will play, uh, huge roles in that as they are the, uh, the economies, at least on the, on the, uh, not on the islands in, in, in Europe. And yeah, that's the way, way maybe to go to, to think ahead and to be, to be up to the, to the challenge. So I, I went into Bitcoin because I'm interested in the technology and now I'm always concerned about taxes and regulation, which it's actually kind of annoying, but it could stop and, and, and uh, at least uh, defer Bitcoin for a while. So um, I'd like to get around this uh, the head start.
3: Um just being here for a while I've noticed you know if the uh, European Union elections have recently, do you think any political party uh would come out in defense of bitcoin?
2: Yeah, so maybe the pirates uh might do that, so this is the only um party that I think would would, would do it uh, at the moment um they they tend to not actually so so the pirates maybe they know about bitcoin and also they have a really tech uh pro tech pro-tech, uh um, votership whatever you call it but um the others I think they don't just don't think about Bitcoin at the moment. Actually the elections are today. Um as soon as this podcast over I'll go and vote. For
1: for the Pirate Party.
2: <laughs> yeah I'll vote for the Pirate Party, yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um okay uh is there something you want to add asher or? no i'm just
3: happy to be in the show looks like a lot of things are going on in europe you know germany france the uk and i think everyone is looking to you guys to you know break some ground in the bitcoin space because you know america has been slow and they have got so many issues there so i think the rest of the world is looking to the european union and uh the, the uk to do something about bitcoin
1: yeah no. uh I think it's a, uh, it's very important what's going to happen in the next 12 months. Uh, and uh, thanks so much for being on the show, first of all. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks for, you know, the work you're doing also in Australia. I think it's like, Coinchart looks really great. If you, you know, if you do need some uh, help with getting set up in Europe, then of course, you know, let us know. Um, so yeah, thanks, Lewin, as well for joining us today and giving us your uh, kind of some insights into what this means.
2: That's yes, my pleasure.
1: Thanks so much. We'll be back next week. If you want to support the show, you can donate and you can do that at EpicenterBitcoin slash tips. You can also follow us on Twitter, EpicenterBTC, uh, or like us on Facebook. So we have kind of talked about this uh, together, so me and Sebastian, uh, and I think, you know, we will make some effort, you know, we'll uh, be a lot more active uh, on a few of those platforms we're also working on an overhaul of the website uh, logo etc etc so this will come in the f- in the coming weeks and uh, finally you can subscribe to our newsletter which goes out every friday and kind of an analysis of the most important news and developments you can do that at epicenterbitcoin.com slash newsletter so thanks so much and i'll see you soon thanks a lot guys